discipleship. Of course, you know, the Gospels teach us about Jesus. They show us how he lived, um, who he was. But there's also this focus on what it means to follow Jesus. And especially in the Gospel of Mark, he really hones in on this theme. And he also shows us really the, the gritty reality of the disciples, that though they were chosen by Jesus, they were walking with Jesus and learning from him, they also got it wrong a lot. They made mistakes. They failed to understand who Jesus was and what he was about. And so we see that a lot throughout the gospel. And ironically, those who would have been seen kind of more as outcasts, normally would have been on the outside, the people who were sick, the poor, the foreigners, in Mark's gospel, these are the ones that are often shown as the ones that are displaying genuine faith. And so we're going to kind of keep that in mind as we go into our story today. And we're going to be talking about the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark 6 which probably for a lot of us, that's a really familiar story. We've probably heard that one a lot. Uh, but, but so often when we read it or, or we hear teaching on it, the focus is on the miracle, this incredible miracle that Jesus has done. But as we go through it, we're going to really focus in on Jesus's interactions with the disciples. Um, as I was, I was listening to a podcast episode from the Bema podcast as they were talking about this story, and they were talking about Jesus's role as a rabbi. And everything in a rabbi's life was really intentional. Everything that they did was seen as a teaching moment for their disciples. And so as Jesus went into this interaction where he's going, he's going to be showing compassion on this crowd, meeting their physical needs, um, doing this amazing work. There's also in that that he's trying to show his disciples something. He's trying to teach them through this interaction. And so as, as we read through the scripture, I want you guys to kind of pay special attention to Jesus's conversation with the disciples. Notice the things that he says to them. So we're going to be reading in Mark 6, starting in verse 30. And to give you guys a little bit of context of where we're at, um, Jesus has just sent the 12 disciples out. They've gone out two by two. They were instructed to go teach, given authority to cast out demons, to heal people, basically do the things that Jesus has been doing. He's given them the authority through his spirit to go do this. And they've just come back to Jesus after this experience. So we pick up in verse 30, where it says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. 
They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. So did you guys notice in that um, what Jesus' first words were to his disciples? You guys can call it out. You did. <laughs> no? Okay. Jesus, in verse 31, Jesus says, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. That's how this story starts out. And this is something that we actually see a lot throughout the Gospel of Mark. And it's interesting because um, Mark is a really fast-paced Gospel. It's, it's the shortest of all the Gospels, um, but there's a lot of action packed into it. And, and Mark really loves to use the word immediately. Um, it comes from the Greek word euthos. And sometimes it's translated um, in specifically in the NIV, as just as or right away, but it's all coming from the same word, euthos, which means immediately. And Mark uses this word over 40 times in his gospel. So in the, the 16 chapters, that's an average of two to three times, every chapter that he's saying immediately. And, and for some reference, in the rest of the New Testament, that word is only used 12 times throughout the whole rest of the New Testament. And so Mark is really trying to convey something here. There's this sense of urgency in his gospel. And adding to that, he always portrays these crowds that are surrounding Jesus. You know, they're flocking to him, they're pressing in on him, sometimes they're, they're almost crushing him. There are always people around him wanting to hear his teaching, wanting to receive healing, wanting something from him. And yet, even with that, even with the urgency that we see in this gospel, there's this rhythm of Jesus being with the crowd and then retreating. He's with the crowds, and then he goes away with his disciples. He's with the crowds, and then he goes up to a mountain to pray by himself. And so as we're here in this, in the context of this passage, as I talked about, the 12 have just returned from this mission that they were sent on. Um, they've been traveling around, doing lots of things. Another part of the context here is that, that John the Baptist um, has just been beheaded by King Herod, um, basically because he was calling out King Herod for his sex scandal. And, and he ends up dying for that. And in, in, Matthew's, um, in Matthew's telling of this story, it's right before the feeding of the 5,000 that Jesus finds out about John the Baptist. And he goes away right after he's found out, needing space, needing time to grieve. He goes away on his own. And so right here, we're seeing both, both Jesus's and the disciples' need for a break. They need to kind of get away and rest. And I love this, that we see Jesus' humanity here. That even though he is fully God, he is also fully human. And so he himself needs to rest. He needs a mental break. He needs time to just be present with his Father. So we see that, and we also see him modeling that for his disciples. You know, it's the same value that has been there from the beginning when God created the Sabbath. That he didn't create people to just go, 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 to do it all on their own. But he wants for us to have this, this attitude even of Sabbath, that it's not just something that happens one week, but that throughout our lives, on a daily basis, throughout our day, that we are taking this time to rest, to be present, to connect with God. We have to recognize and accept our limits as humans. And so we see Jesus calls his disciples to go to this quiet place. And the word that's used there for quiet place is eramos. In, in the Greek. And it's used three times throughout this passage, translated a little bit differently each time. 
as a quiet place, a solitary place, a remote place. In other areas throughout the Gospel of Mark and throughout the New Testament, that word, eremos, is, is also translated as wilderness. So that might bring to mind, you know, when Jesus went out into the wilderness for 40 days after his baptism, or when John the Baptist was out in the wilderness preaching and people were coming out there to be baptized and to learn from him. It also might draw to mind in the Old Testament when the people of Israel were wandering around in the wilderness. And so the idea of this wilderness is that it's a place where people come and meet with God's presence. And that happens in a lot of different ways throughout the biblical narrative. And so that's what Jesus is calling them to, not just to rest, but also he's calling them to come sit in God's presence, to encounter God. And the disciples, you know, they probably really needed this, along, along with um, needing rest from, from their journey. Um, it's possible that as they came back and, you know, they're telling Jesus all the things that they did, all the things that they accomplished, maybe they needed to kind of be reminded of where their identity was found, reminded of, of their need for God's presence, that it wasn't just what they were doing, but that God, what God was doing through them. And just like the disciples, we need those quiet spaces too. We need that space for solitude, where we can have rest for our bodies, where we can connect with God, where we can remember who God is and who we are and what he wants for us. And in a culture that values productivity and building your brand and information overload, we need to get away. Even and especially when we're busy. I know that it's so easy for us in those times when, when our calendar is, is packed to, to not take this time to be present with God, to not go into these quiet spaces, um, because we feel like we don't have this, the time in this space. We just got to get things done. But I think it's in those times, especially, that we need it. We need to take those moments of rest, those moments to connect with God, even throughout our day. And it's not about legalism. It's not about checking something off our list. You know, I know for, for myself, for so many years, I feel like that's kind of what it was. You know, I was told I'm supposed to have this quiet time each day. I have a reading plan, a devotional that I'm reading, this intentional time that I'm setting aside. And, and oftentimes it just ended up being a little empty. You know, it was just something that I did. Okay, I'm going to read this passage and then set it aside and I'm done. Um, and oftentimes it, it led to a lot of discouragement because I, I couldn't keep it up, right? And so then when I miss a day and end up missing a week and two weeks, I, I kind of get off that rhythm and I would just feel guilty, right? Like God's, God's upset with me because I'm not doing this thing that I'm supposed to do. Um, and though, you know, God obviously is so gracious and even in the midst of that, he can work, he can speak to us. But it's something more than that. And I feel like even just in the last few years, I've really come to to really desire this time, desire this connection with God. And it's, and it's, it's looked different, you know? It's not always this time of, of just sitting um, sitting and going through scripture. Sometimes it's, it's throughout my day, it's, it's a breath prayer. It's going out to my yard for five minutes and just being, being surrounded by nature and being in God's presence. You know, while I'm washing the dishes, being able to, to talk to God and share with him what's on my mind. Um, and I've come to realize how much I need that. Especially, you know, as a mom, I feel like as soon as, as soon as my kids wake up in the morning, they're needing something from me. And though I am not a morning person at all, my husband can tell you, um, 
I finally got to a point where I discovered like, oh, I actually need to wake up early. I need to wake up before my kids because if the first thing that happens in the day is, is they're coming and they're needing something from me, like I'm not going to be interacting with them well. I'm not going to be loving them well. I need to actually get up early, have that time, that quiet space with God to receive from him before I go into my day. And then I have to, throughout the day, have those spaces of connection. And sometimes, you know, that just happens in small doses. Right? And just like in this story, you know, Jesus and the disciples, they go in this boat across the lake. As soon as they arrive, there's a crowd of people again. And, you know, I think that oftentimes when I've read this story, I've just felt like, man, that's, that's kind of a bummer, right? Like, Jesus is taking them in this quiet space and they get there and they don't really have that. But, but I think that even just their time in the boat is that quiet space. We see throughout Mark um, that the, Jesus and the disciples are in the boat a lot. They're going from one side of the lake to the other. And, and so often as they're doing, they're going across the lake, there's people that are like running or walking over to the other side of the lake, right? So they could have walked there, but I think it's intentional that Jesus takes them in this boat. It's kind of this safe haven, this space for them to get away, to create some space. And so they go in the boat, and in, in verse 34 it says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. We see Jesus' response here. It's one of compassion. And one thing that's, that's really cool about this story is that there is so many um, like references and allusions to other parts of the biblical narrative here in this story. And one of the commentaries I was going through, it had you know, like 10 different references throughout the Bible to look at and just kind of see the connections and one of the connections that comes up a lot is, is the story of you know, the Israelites in the wilderness as they're out there with no food and God provides for them. His presence is with them and he provides for them again and again. And so we see even, even in this line right here, um, there's a reference there where it references in Numbers 27 where Moses has been leaving the people of Israel um, but he has kind of come to a point where he isn't really trusting in God. He's starting to grumble against God um, because he's having to take care of the people. And so God says that Moses is not going to be the one to lead them into the promised land. Instead, he's going to give another leader. And so in Numbers 27, 15 to 17, it says, Moses said to the Lord, May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community to go out and come in before them one who will lead them out and bring them in. So the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. You see that same phrase here in this story. Jesus doesn't want them to be sheep without a shepherd. And though in, in that story in Numbers, Jesus ends up appointing Joshua to kind of be the shepherd for the people, but it also points to, um, to Jesus. You know, that's, that's kind of what Mark is trying to show us here, that Jesus is this leader that, that was going to be appointed to take care of his people, that he doesn't want them to be this sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is going to be the one, kind of like this new Moses, who would, who would lead his people into true freedom. We also see this connection in, in Psalm 23, where it says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That green pastures is going to come up again in this story, too. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. 
think Mark here is trying to make this point that this is who Jesus is. He is this, this shepherd, this one who has compassion on his people, who wants to lead them and refresh them. And yet we see, we see a contrast between Jesus' response to the crowd and the disciples. Whereas Jesus has been having compassion on them, the disciples want to send them away. They come to Jesus and say, look, this is a remote place. You know, the people have been here a long time. They need to eat. Send them away to go find some food. And while it might seem like okay, the disciples are kind of looking out for this crowd, maybe showing some concern for them, we also see the same kind of thing throughout Mark in other areas where, where Jesus is, is having compassion on people and saying, come to me, and the disciples are saying, send them away. They do this with the crowds. They do this when the children are coming to Jesus. They do this with the woman who's anointing Jesus' feet. They even do it when they see people who are casting out demons in Jesus' name because they think they're not part of us. Send them away. And so when we see Jesus saying, come to me, the disciples are saying, send them away. When Jesus looks on the crowd with compassion, the disciples look on them as a burden. And yet, even though they don't get it, Jesus calls them in. He wants them to partner, and he wants to teach them to shepherd like he does. And so Jesus says to them in verse 37, you give them something to eat. And I'm sure this must have sounded to the disciples like pretty ridiculous, right? Like it sounds like Jesus saying, like, just go take care of it. Um, but remember, everything in a rabbi's life was meant to be a teaching moment. Jesus knew that they couldn't do it on their own, but he wanted to partner with them. Just as he had just sent them out, given them authority to do these amazing things all around, he wanted them to see this as another opportunity. Come partner with me. Let's do this together. Trust in me. But they still don't get it. So their response is, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? And this response sounds a lot like Moses when he was grumbling against God. In Numbers 11, as the people are grumbling and asking for meat, Moses then begins to grumble against God because he has to take care of these people. And he says, why have you given me the burden of caring for these people? Why should I have to take care of them? Where am I supposed to get the meat for them? We see these parallels there in the response of Moses, the response of disciples, that there's this lack of compassion or maybe it's just compassion fatigue. You know, they've been giving and giving, and they, they just don't want to give anymore. They're frustrated that they're being expected to provide for others. We also see this wrong view of God and themselves, right? That they're thinking it's, it's all on them, basically thinking, seeing themselves as the Savior. While at the same time, they're standing face-to-face -face with God, not, not trusting that he's going to provide, not recognizing how amazing he is, how incredible he is, the power that he has. And, you know, we're going to see um, in Mark 8, a couple chapters over, there's, there's another instance of this same, very similar miracle that Jesus does when he's going to feed the 4,000. And even in that time where it's like Jesus is kind of giving the disciples another chance, like, all right, we've been through this before, let's, let's try it again. And still, even in that one, they still don't get it. <laughs> But here's the good news, is that their lack of understanding doesn't disqualify them. It's just an opportunity for them to learn. And so Jesus is going to walk them through it. And in verse 38, he says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. 
So the disciples go out and see, and they find five loaves and two fish. And one thing that's really interesting about this, we're not going to get into it too much, but I just wanted to mention it. In, in the Jewish tradition, um, there's a lot of numerology where certain numbers have, have significant meanings. And so in this one, when we see the five loaves and the two fish, five in, in Jewish tradition represents the five books of Moses, and two represents the two stone tablets that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. And so basically in this, as Jesus is taking these five loaves, these two fish, the law, the, the books of Moses and the stone tablets, it's like he's taking the law, he's reinterpreting it, and he's giving it back to them. And so he takes, he takes these loaves and the fish, he looks up to heaven, he says a blessing, he breaks the bread and he gives it to his, his disciples. That might be a familiar image as well. You know, it should, it should bring to mind the Lord's Supper, where Jesus does the same thing, and he's taking the bread, he's breaking it, he's blessing it, he's giving it to his disciples. And so in this, Mark is trying to show that this, this miracle that Jesus is doing is that it's more than just fulfilling a physical need, but that Jesus is drawing these people in, right? He is not just wanting to satisfy their physical hunger, but he wants to feed them spiritually, he wants to call them into his body. He wants to show them what it means to follow God, to be the people of God. And these people who were in this crowd, you know, they were the outcasts. They, they were the sick, they were the poor. But basically Jesus is saying, you are a part of my kingdom as well. And so here's where we see this incredible miracle. As the disciples go, they pass out the food, and it doesn't run out. And, you know, we don't know. It doesn't give us a lot of specifics. We don't know exactly what this looked like. Um, but I just, I imagine, you know, Jesus taking these five loaves, breaking them into 12 pieces, these two fish, breaking these two fish into 12 pieces. Hopefully somebody had a knife, so he's not trying to, like, tear apart this fish. I don't know how that would go. But he gives it to the disciples, you know. Maybe they go out, they've got in their basket, their one little piece of fish, one little piece of bread, go out to this first crowd of 100 people, like, here you go, you know, here's your bread, here's your fish. Maybe look back in their basket, there's another piece of bread, another piece of fish. Give that out, look back, there's another piece, you know? I don't, I don't know exactly what it looked like, that's kind of how I imagined it. But however it was, there, there was something incredible that happened here, right? That they could take these five loaves and two fish, feed over 5,000 people, not just little bits and scraps, but enough that they are full, they are satisfied, and then go around and still pick up 12 basketfuls. They end up with more than what they started with. That's pretty amazing, right? But as, maz as amazing as that is, as a miracle, it's not just about the miracle, but I think that there's some lessons that God, that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples in this. First of which is that, is that his kingdom is a kingdom of abundance, that there's room for everyone, right? Even, even these outcasts, People who would normally be on the outside, Jesus saying, there's room for them too. Two chapters later, when Jesus repeats this miracle, that time it's going to be with a Gentile crowd, whereas this was a Jewish crowd. And Jesus is saying, even them, you know, there's room for them too. He's also trying to teach them that they are called to participate. That they're not just there to, to witness Jesus' miracles, but they are there to be a part of it as well not just about them sitting and asking God to do something and waiting. He wants them to bring their concerns to him, but then he wants them to partner with him in meeting those needs. 
also trying to teach them that when we offer what we have, he will make it enough. It's not just up to us to figure it out, to make it work. But when we, we know our place, not as the Savior, but as the one who's coming to partner with Jesus, and we give what we have, no matter how little it is, God is going to make it enough. You know, I think it's, it's easy for us to sit here and maybe kind of shake our heads at the disciples that, you know, even though they've been traveling around with Jesus, and they, they still don't get it, they still don't understand. But, but I think that we're a lot like the disciples so often. Just as they, they begin to grumble, we, we grumble in a lot of different ways too. And our grumbling takes different forms for different people. Sometimes it sounds like, why should I have to help them? Right? When, when you see a need, whatever it is, whether it's the migrants at the border, whether it's someone experiencing homelessness, we just feel like, why should I have to, to take care of that? That's not my problem. We just kind of see it in this really individualistic way. We don't want to get what we have. Other times the grumbling might, might come from a place of, of, we actually want to help. We've, we've been helping. We've been doing what we can. Um, but, but we're doing it by our own strength, and we start to get a little burnt out, and, and our grumbling starts to sound more like, why do I have to do it all? Why is it all up to me? Why isn't anyone else coming in and stepping up? We get to this place of, of self-righteousness, right? When we're doing it by our own strength, feeling like it's up to us to save others, but knowing that we can't do it all. And both of those lead to pride and bitterness. You know, for, for me, I feel like I often fall more into that second category, where I, I'm very naturally a helper. When I see a need, I want to do something about it. And, and I often feel like I have to do everything. I have to respond to every need around me. And oftentimes, I'm kind of doing it by my own strength. And I'm like, I have to figure it out on my own, which can lead me to this place of just feeling burnt out, feeling overwhelmed. You know, I recently, I came across this picture um, that kind of, described that feeling for me really well. It was actually um, over the summer when, when some of the women here we were doing, we were going through a spiritual practice guide together, and one of the practices um, called for us to kind of be aware of the emotions that we were feeling and create a collage, kind of showing these emotions. And so you guys can put the, the photo up on the screen. I came across this photo in one of my kids' nature magazines, and I just felt like, man, that mama bird really gets me. Um, and so, if you guys can't see the photo, if you're listening later on, it's, it's this photo of three baby birds with their mouths open, the mama bird is there with a worm to feed them. And I remember when I, when I had showed this photo to, um, in, in our women's group, some of the other moms that were there were like, yes, this is what it's like, right? Like, I, I so, so often as a mom, I feel like all day long, it's just like mom, 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 right? There's always need around me. They, they want a snack, or they're fighting about something, or they want to show me something, or tell me something, they want me to play with them, you know? And it's, it's all good, it's great, that's my role, I love to do that, but at times it can feel a bit overwhelming, right? Like there's all this need and there's just me, and it just feels like too much. And so when I came across this photo, it just like brought up so much anxiety for me. <laughs> and even now, like looking, looking at it, I, like I feel that, right? Um, and so I was actually, even just this past week, um, I was feeling a little bit of that. My, my son Jackson was home for a couple days, home from school. He had a cold. And my, my response to him was, 
was a lot more like the disciples than like, than like Jesus, right? I, I wasn't looking on him with compassion saying, come to me. I was like, man, I have to work on a sermon. I have got stuff to get done. I need to send this kid back to school, right? But God's grace in the midst of that um, was that I, I actually I, I started spiritual direction this past week. And so as I was meeting with my spiritual director, she, you know, she didn't know anything about this mama bird photo, um, but she was telling me, talking about as, as we come into these spaces where, where we're coming just wanting to, to sit with God, to be in his presence, to receive from him, um, we can see ourselves as a baby bird sitting in the nest. And we're there waiting for God, just recognizing our need, recognizing that we need to receive from him, that we're dependent on him, sometimes even recognizing that, that we are just helpless, right? And we need God to come to us, to give us our sustenance, to, to, to speak to us, to, to lead us in his wisdom, right? And that was so humbling for me to see myself as that baby bird, right? Because the truth is that even though I sometimes feel so overwhelmed as that mama bird, like that's more comfortable for me, right? It's more comfortable for me to be in the position where I am giving, where I am meeting needs. And to, to even have that choice of, of whether I want to, to do that or not, but then to see myself in this place of like, man, I need to come, I need to receive from God. I can't, I can't do it on my own. That's humbling, but also there's a sense of freedom in that. that I don't have to figure it all out. It's not just up to me. And so whether, you know, whether you've got kids and you've experienced this feeling with kids or not, like it's so possible to just look around our world and just see all the need, right? We've got the migrants at the border. We've got people fleeing Afghanistan. We've got natural disasters. We've got racial injustice. There, there's constant need around us. And with, with our news stream, social media, we see it all the time. And it's possible for us to just feel so overwhelmed by that. To either be at this place where we're just like, I just want to shut it out, it's not my problem. Or to be in this place of like, I'm just trying to, to meet all the needs and just feeling so overwhelmed. But in those times, I think that Jesus says to us, come to me, find rest from your souls and learn from me. And from that place, from that place of receiving, go and feed my sheep. Love your neighbor as yourself. Care for others' needs. I want you to be a part of my kingdom and this work. And he says, bring what you have. You don't have to do it all. You can't do it all. You're not going to meet everybody's needs. But bring whatever it is that you have, knowing that God is there, that he's the Savior, and that he is going to take what you have, he's going to multiply it, he's going to make it enough. So as we go into our week, um, I just want to leave a little reflection for you guys. Just to consider in your life, what are those areas of grumbling that you're experiencing? Whether that looks like, you know, feeling like, man, why do I have to, to meet these needs to do this for other people? Or whether it's feeling like you're the one that's doing everything, you're doing it all. What are those areas where you are grumbling? And then I challenge you to bring that before God. You know, we don't, we don't have to feel shame for that grumbling. That's normal, um, just human nature. But we actually need to bring that to God, to speak to him, to allow him to speak to us and restore us and then let him lead us in the ways that he wants us 
to partner with him. This works. Uh, one of the things that um, Vanessa mentioned that kind of stuck with me, um, she, was, she, was, she started to tell about the second telling, or the second time where Jesus does the same miracle. And uh, she said this, and I think it was like a passing phrase, but it was just kind of like, kind of hit me at that moment. Maybe I was just paying attention a little bit more uh, at that moment. But um, he said like, their lack of understanding didn't disqualify them, but it was an opportunity to learn. And um, I, I, I am not, uh, I'm an above average student. I'm not that kind of Asian, you know, like uh, for like to get, to get like above 3.0, like was a win for me and my family and my parents graciously, uh, gracefully understood that. <laughs> and, and so um, 3.5, it was like a sizzler day, you know, like, uh, and we celebrated that. And um, so I'm totally okay with that. And, but it did, but it did make me feel insecure growing up, feeling like, I, I felt like I had this lack and like academics is not my thing, but I felt like um, it always kind of like, it just, just wasn't my thing. And I think I always kind of carry that with me in different ways too. And, um, and I, it seeped into my spiritual life also. Right? And I always felt like I had to achieve a certain level of like spiritual discipline, you know, a certain level of like, I need to, uh, like Vanessa mentioned earlier, I, I need to hit up my quiet times, be on point on that. I need to be like praying at least like at least 10 minutes, you know, because, you know, praying before meals is not enough. And I just had like all these like um, rules that I placed upon myself um, that were more legalistic than just seeking God, period. And, and the idea that because, because there's a lack in us, it doesn't dis disqualify us. There is grace in that. And I, and I, and I'm processing that, and I share that with you to let you know that if you feel like there's any lack in you, there's, it doesn't disqualify you. Um, there's an invitation for you to the table. There's an invitation for you uh, to be at the feet of God, feet at feet of Jesus in that green pastures and receive from him. Because we don't, I, I think one of the miracles and, and the graces of the gospel is that we don't start with where we need to be, but we start with where we're at. And that's the beauty of the gospel. And that's the beauty of the communion table. That we don't start with where we need to be, but we start with where Jesus is. Jesus didn't invite his disciples to the table because they got it all right. Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him, but still invited him to the table. Jesus knew that Peter was going to deny him, but he was still invited to the table. It's the same invitation that we are invited to. The gospel makes the same invitation to us over and over and over again. And we are invited to it because there's any lack. If you feel any perceived lack in you, it doesn't disqualify you. In fact, it welcomes you to the table. And so with that, let's turn our attention to the communion elements. If you can, peel off this first plastic layer and it will expose this little wafer, and this wafer is going to represent the body of Christ. And as we do that, can we read this together? Can we read this liturgy together? This bread is made from many grains, from many fields, yet was formed into a single loaf. 
In the same way, we are from many cultures and from many places, but we are one body. The communion is a reminder that the body of Christ was broken so that we would be made one in him. The body of Christ broken for me. And when you're ready, peel the second layer carefully. And let's read this together. Also, the juice of this cup contains many vines made by many hands, yet it pours freely. In the same way, let us pour ourselves freely, just as Christ modeled for us. May we be generous givers of our grace, mercy, and blessings to each other and to all. The cup of Christ poured out for me. And to wrap up our time, let's pray the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.